What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. I am your host, Garrison Hardy, and with me, as always, Garrett Thigpen. Garrett, how the heck are you? I am doing fantastic, Garrison. We got uh, we got bowl season coming up. It's the holiday season. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a great time to be alive. That's right. Jesus' birthday coming up here. Fantastic. And we got some big bowl games. Uh, we're still talking about the college football playoffs here. Episode 16, by the way, folks. And for episode 16, we have a very special guest. And he goes by the name of John Root. So, a uh, quick bio here. John Root attended uh, Azusa Pacific and played football there, by the way. John is a sports and entertainment media professional who spent five years as the in-arena digital reporter for the San Jose Sharks. I lived in San Jose, by the way. Uh, he hosted, produced content for the Santa Cruz Warriors, their NBA G League team, as well as staying involved in the entertainment industry as an accomplished commercial actor. No big deal. Is uh, also with turning a, He was with a Turning Point usa as a contributor producer uh and the daily host of tp usa live from tp usa hq as well as the first ever conservative weekly sports show breakaway john is unfiltered and unashamed to give you the conservative side of sports that mainstream sports media won't provide doing that in a unique genuine and energetic way so this should be an exciting show uh john did i miss anything in your bio there well, first off, boys, thanks for having me. I love talking sports. That's been my favorite thing to talk about pretty much since I came out of the womb. And <laughs> since God granted me the ability to work with some pretty amazing sports franchises. And uh, I mean, basically what I'm doing now is I'm an independent content creator. Uh, I do some writing for a great conservative publication called the Republic Sentinel. So I'm going to give you basically the non-woke side of sports and really a side of sports that you're not going to see from the mainstream. And hmm. again, God's granted me a platform um, for some reason. Obviously, I want to be a good steward of it. Uh, I know I'm in a little hot water right now because <laughs> I have a, a video that just went viral calling out LeBron James for basically disrespecting Ooh. the flag. Uh, ignoring the flag at Bronny James's first USC uh, basketball game. So I'm, I'm not a stranger to controversy. I'm happy to jump into things that are controversial. And I know probably one of the most controversial things in sports, other than um, the Chiefs lining up offsides <laughs> and not wanting the refs to call it, is what's going on with the college football playoff. I have plenty to say about that. Oh, my goodness. Well, that's actually a great segue into the topic we want to get into is the playoff rankings. I mean, I saw you on Twitter. You basically had a few things to say about it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, Garrett and I actually kind of lined up on the other side <laughs> of you on this. this. This is just me as a consumer here. Uh, but I didn't want to see mm. another TCU versus Georgia type game in the playoff. That is totally selfish on my part. Totally get that feel for the Florida State players, but again, for the folks at home, Michigan wow. number and one. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to catch you off real quick 
because I'm a TCU football fan. So <laughs> that's <laughs> oh that's, no, uh, you having to remind you having to remind me about that is a shame. But I, I do have a little a little uh, maybe pushback after you finish uh, what you got to say here. Send it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, so Michigan number one, Washington number two, Texas number three, Alabama number four, and then on the outside looking in. Florida State at number five, 13 and 0. Never seen anything like it. And then Georgia, uh, they had a 29 game win streak going into that game against Bama, 12 and 1. They're on the outside looking in as well. Um, Garrett and I, you know, what, uh, Garrett, I'll let you speak for yourself on this one before, before we let John jump in and push back. But, uh, you know, Garrett and I are, well, we were fine with the rankings, right, Garrett? Yeah. I, I mean, it was, it was tough. Uh, there's going to be people upset either way. And, uh, I definitely understand Florida state's argument for why they deserve to be in. And I do feel really bad for them. I feel bad for Jordan Travis, Mike Norvell, the whole team. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, you know, if we're looking at four best teams and the committee, they do have to make, uh, uh, they, they just have to make a decision on based on their own opinions, their own, ju- own judgments. And, um, I, I also would have probably put Alabama at four. If it were up to me, mm. John thoughts, that's where I stand. Well, first off, what I'll say here is as a TCU fan, uh, I mean, there was even questions whether they should make it into the top four last season. Cause obviously they had, I think it was double or triple overtime, uh, right. Lost mm-hmm. to Kansas state, um, in that, that conference championship game. And also too, I will say that I think, TCU scored twice on the goal line there. And there was a little bit of controversy there, but um, TCU deserved to make the top four last season. And then what did they do is they shocked the world and they beat Michigan, uh, a mm-hmm. game that I actually mm-hmm. was able to attend. One of my favorite sporting events I've ever been to live. And then obviously it was a trash national title game. It, it hurt me personally. And then it also, I knew that it would turn into potentially a debacle the following season. Cause they're like, well, you know, this team just got smacked in national championship game. This is not good for ratings. Nobody wants right. to see a game like this. Like whether you're a TCU fan, Georgia fan, or just a college football fan or sports fan in general. But what I see here is if we're going to be ranking teams based off, um, you know, skill level and entertainment, Georgia is a top four team, no doubt. Right. There's like, if, if you're going to try to tell me that if this is based off the best teams, how in the world is now Florida State number five and Georgia's number six? Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're trying to, if the committee is going to try to say this is a ranking one to six based off skill level and how good these teams are, there's no doubt that Georgia is better than Florida State. Uh, and if you're going to ask Vegas for the odds between those two teams, they're going to say that they're probably going to make um, a Georgia double-digit favorite over Florida State. But also this gets down to, I believe Florida State got penalized for being perfect. Yes, hmm. they're missing a high-caliber QB. But to tell these guys that basically ever since their QB went down, that the rest of their season meant season meant absolutely nothing i think just really tarnishes the credibility of the committee there's no doubt we can all come together and say yeah like florida state 
would be an underdog against every single other team that you would put in the college football playoff. But they went undefeated this season. They won every game. They did everything that they were supposed to do. And the fact that they don't even have the ability to compete for a national championship, yes, we can go back like hindsight is is 2020, but if you're moving to 12 teams this next season, why in the world did you not shift to some sort of six or eight team playoff to lead yourself into the following season instead of going right from four to 12. But I think in, in general, Florida state, yes, they're going to be an underdog, but they did everything right this season. They right. won every single game. Yeah. The final game wasn't pretty against Louisville, but they won. So if you're mm-hmm. basically saying that that conference championship game, uh, essentially meant nothing. Um, I mean, at least there should have been some sort of warning that, hey, you guys need to beat Louisville by 14 <laughs> points plus if we're going to even think about you. But in general, they're getting penalized for being perfect. Right. Yeah. Uh, w- what do you think of the committee's response to all this, I guess, controversy over what happened to where they're basically saying, you know, we were in that committee room watching Florida State struggle to get a first down against Louisville. And, you know, we knew that this decision was going to suck, blah, blah, blah. And now on the flip side, we've got the attorney general of Florida getting involved in suing the college football playoff committee. Uh, I guess, what are your reactions to both sides of this enigma that we're seeing explode in front of us? Yeah, because like any any sort of sports fan or sports analyst is going to say like, yes, that conference championship game was was tough to watch. Right. but Florida State won. Like, there's been plenty of wins that teams have had in title games or playoff games, you know, across all sports. And they found their way to get to the next level, to get to the next round, what, whatever it may be. And um, I, I think just the committee, they just knew that the top four teams in the college football playoff right now are major money makers. Mm. Every single game is going to be electric, no doubt. But they'd have to they'd have to answer to how in the world are you putting a team on the outside looking in that was perfect, right? Um, and in general, like I think if we were able to break down all the teams, uh, all the games since Travis went down, it'd be like, yeah, like. Sure, the offense is, is not as good, but in general, I think it just comes down to they, they got it done. And if there was any excuse whatsoever, the committee was going to try to get um, Alabama and Texas in there. Mm-hmm. And that's where, I rightfully so, I think Florida, Florida State fans and college football fans in general are like, all right, th- this doesn't make sense. And luckily, again, next year, 12 teams, right. we're not going to have to go through this nonsense Again, but when it comes to the legal perspective of this, it's it's kind of funny. When I saw uh, DeSantis get involved in this, I'm like, dude, this guy is pulling no punches. Like, this guy <laughs> wants to get to the place where it's like, hey, he'll never be able to. I, I love just kind of making the DeSantis and Trump uh, comparisons. Right. Is, you, know, you know, Trump was able to get college football back. And I, I feel like the work that, that Donald Trump did during the pandemic to get college football, one of the f- major sports to get back. I, I remember seeing 
those stadiums packed during the pandemic. I'm like, this is sick. Like, this is what sports are all about. We should be able to decide for ourselves if we want to go buy a ticket and just freaking be outside and, and go nuts mm-hmm. um, for the for these teams. Uh, now DeSantis is like, you know, I want to get in this college football uh, political uh, debacle a little bit. Let me jump in and. In general, yeah, it it does hurt the uh, the school. Uh, it does uh, affect the state uh, monetarily, right? And I just kind of like to see something like that, where it's like, yeah, we're. I, I don't think it's really going to go anywhere, but it's kind of fun to see uh, politicians fight for something that you know most, not most people. I'd say a good amount of people are saying like, yeah, I mean, this is this is worth fighting for. If our politicians are going to stand for us uh, and the committee won't, they can at least feel like they got that feather in their cap. Yeah. And, and Garrett, after this point, I know I'm hogging right now. If you've got anything, feel free to jump in. But uh, oh, you're good. the yeah, please, please just like tell me like, John, you're so wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> just just do it. My feelings won't get hurt. Oh, totally. Totally. Well, you're wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no. Uh, with. The, the cool thing I've seen is on social media, there's a new Facebook page, if I'm not mistaken, where Florida State fans, boosters, former alumni, you name it, are coming together and saying, you know what, we're going to shake up the NIL. Let's get behind Florida State and go out and get some of these big transfer targets and really put us back in the same position next season. Um, so in, in that sense, and we'll talk about this a little bit later with the NIL, I think it's really cool to see Florida state as a, a school and institution kind of rise up and say, Oh yeah, we'll see you next year kind of thing. Um, <laughs> so I guess stay tuned from the Seminoles there, but, uh, but Garrett, you got anything on your end? I mean, yeah, I, I definitely understand, uh, um, the arguments of being 13 and 0. And I think the committee did make a mistake when Jordan Travis got hurt. They really, and I, they were, they're trying to be very non transparent to protect their, uh, just to protect themselves, but they really didn't act like that would affect their rankings too much. Um, I think had they been more upfront ahead of time and said, we know that this is a huge blow and we're going to drop them a couple spots in the rankings just because that's how we view it, then. I don't think they would be in as bad a position as they are right now. I think it looks worse when the week before the, I believe the week before the Louisville game, the championship week, they had Florida state at number four and then they go out and win the championship game. And then they drop them down. I think that looks a lot worse on them. Um, But I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's very subjective and everyone's going to be voting by different criteria. I think the way that it probably you know, went down is that Florida State and Alabama, they've got very similar resumes. Um, obviously, Florida State's undefeated, and that's a big boost. But I, I mean, Alabama, you know, they only lost one game, and that was to a team that's already in a top three team, and they were able to beat Georgia, uh, you know, probably one of the best wins of the season. Um, right. So, I mean, to, obviously, they have a great resume as well. And I think that the, just it's just that injury set it over the top. And um, you know, if we were going by most deserving, I definitely think, you know, Florida state deserves to be in just by the record, but the, you know, the committee did say weeks in advance that we do not look at deserving. And so, you know, I definitely think there's a bit of a flaw in the system on how it's voted on and what their criteria is. It's not very clear. And that's, you know, probably by design so they can kind of do whatever they want and cover right. all their grounds. But, um, 
I think it's more of a, I think it's, I, I think it's more of a systemic issue rather than one decision. Um, but I mean, like I said, I, I, I would have gone with Bama. I think if we're going best teams, then I mean, you bring up a good point. I knew this was going to be a problem when they put Florida state five and Georgia six, because it just seems so inconsistent because right. if you're going to say bam, you know, if we're just going by best teams, uh, yeah, obviously Bama would be heavily favored right now, but so would Georgia. So why is that the case? Mm. Um, and I don't know if that's an issue of where you've got some people who are in that committee room who are voting in one with one mindset where they're putting Florida state at four saying they deserve to be in. And then you've got another group that's saying, we don't think that they deserve to be in the top four and we're going to go by best. And they may have had Florida state down at six or seven. And that's just how the rankings averaged out. I'm not sure if that's the case, but, um, yeah, I mean, and I, I wish they would have gone to a, a six or an eight team playoff mm-hmm. immediately. And then obviously all this would have been avoided. I think, I don't know what you guys think about this. I think 12 is a little too many on the playoffs personally. Uh, I think six or eight would be ideal to help keep the meaning of some of these regular season games. But um, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it it sucks for Florida state, but you know, I I think that we got the best playoff possible and we have four teams who are, I think had great seasons. I think they're deserving in their own right. It's not hard. It's not easy to go from where Alabama was almost, you know, losing to USF, benching Jalen Milrow to where he's playing like one of the best quarterbacks in the country. They go and they beat Alabama. I mean, they beat Georgia. I mean, that's just right. I, I think these are four great teams who had amazing seasons. And, um, I, I you know, I think that uh, it's going to be a great playoff. So, yeah, I feel bad for Florida State. But I mean, you know, only four teams. Someone's got to be left out. So. Yeah, hey, John. Yeah, my- and probably the last, probably the last thing I would say is just like it, it's just egregious that you have the number one team in the country drop five spots. Like they just they can't explain that. And then the big thing yeah. too is everyone always talks about Florida State. What are they doing on offense, dude? They held Louisville to six points. Right, six points. The defense is I great. It, it and. And that's the thing, too, is just like if we're going to have all this talk ever since we were kids playing peewee football, like defense wins championships, <laughs> like, dude, who knows what Florida State could potentially do in some of these massive upsets in the college football playoff against some of these juggernauts. Like if their defense just steps up big time uh, like they did against Louisville and uh, the last like basically three games of the season. It's, I mean, it's just not really going to be that high scoring um, electric shootout like the committee would like to see and how we're accustomed to with college football. But man, like what an amazing performance the defense put on. Um, and that, w- that was a great win uh, to, to end the season for Florida State. But, you know, when you have those things that don't, uh, aren't talked, really talked about is Florida State's defense to end the year and then uh, Georgia dropping five spots it it just doesn't make sense to me but i i think also when it comes to expanding in the playoff it's like if we're going to have 12 teams that just adds a few extra games that we can bet on and (laughs) the ncaa can make some more money on and you know like that's that's just the way we work as as sports fans especially male sports fans like dude i could watch football all day every day and probably never Amen. get tired of it. Mm. Even though our our wives and our fiancés, our girlfriends and our families would, uh, I, I don't know if we ever could get, get tired of this. <laughs> well, uh, well, 
Well, let me flip this on you then, John. Who would you it, who would you have put into your top four then if uh, the committee got this wrong? So what I would have done is you got. I think this year, just I know a lot of people were trying to trash me for this putting on uh, putting this out there uh, on, on social media is no matter what you now got an Alabama and a Texas that people are working really hard to get in there. Right. But if Alabama gets this win against Georgia, you've got to bump them up. Mm. So what, what I had was um, you're going to have uh, Michigan, Washington, Georgia, Florida state, Texas on the outside looking in. Ooh. And then obviously no doubt that would create more controversy. It's like, Oh, what about Texas and their schedule and their win? And they only had one loss. Um, I think just probably more than anything is like Georgia would probably still you line them up against any one of those teams. Even if you line them up against Alabama again, mm-hmm. I guarantee you Vegas would still uh, make them the favorite. So that would have been my top four. So Georgia ahead of Bama, even with the loss, am I tracking with you? So, uh, yes. Okay. Interesting. Garrett, what, what are your thoughts on that top four? Yeah, Georgia is a tough one. I think that, yeah, if you're going by best four, I think you could definitely make that argument. Uh, Georgia still should be in the top four and that, you know, they've got the best loss out of all these teams. Uh, Texas, if you're going by these one loss teams, they've got the worst to, uh, to Oklahoma. You look at, and then you look at teams yep. like Ohio yep. State, you know, that you could argue their top four team, their only loss is to, to Michigan. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, I, I definitely see where you're coming with that one. Um, you know, I, I would probably, you know, I'd say Georgia, yeah, they'd probably be favored against everyone. Um, I think the pro, it's just such, yeah, everyone's got different metrics by which they, they weight all these things. Um, I think one point for Georgia is that that game, they played really close against Alabama. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a tight game. It could have gone either way. And, and their two best players on offense were both hurt and playing through injuries that entire game. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And you could easily make the argument that if we wait, you know, you give them a month off, you know, we're talking about player availability with Jordan Travis. I mean, give a month and you've got Brock Bowers healthy. You've got Lad McConkey healthy. Georgia's probably a much better team with them at full strength. Right. And like you said, they'd probably easily be favored over Alabama to neutral site. So, yeah, I definitely get the argument for for Georgia being in and uh, uh, for Texas being out um, just just based on, you know, uh, how close it was. A neutral site loss to Alabama with your two best playmakers hurt. And then you compare that to Texas, who lost to, to Oklahoma, who has proven to be not quite that elite team yet. Right. Um yeah, I, I can see the argument for for Georgia getting in. I, I wouldn't have been upset if they left Georgia in. I, I would say that. Right, right. Totally agree. So, folks, stay tuned for that Orange Bowl game. Easily the most pissed-off Orange Bowl we've seen ever with <laughs> Florida State and Georgia, December 30th. That is a 4 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. So, Garrett and I will have more of a in-depth dive into that one. But... Let's zoom out a little bit, fellas. I mean, college football as a whole, 
has shifted just a little bit this last year. I mean, we've got the NIL is in full swing. The transfer market, there's thousands of players jumping into the transfer portal. I mean, this we've never seen anything like this. And then, of course, the Pac-12 conference, 108 years of history just kind of washed down the drain. And as a Washington State fan, I'm left homeless. So, John, what do you make <laughs> – what do you make of the landscape of college football currently? Like, is, is all of this change good for the sport, you think? Well, everybody's going to get into the conversation about loyalty. And obviously, that's what we love about college sports and college football in general is you got these players that spend, you know, most of their college career on one team. And right. it's it's not like pro sports where you can shift around, but... I, I think in general, the way things have been specifically with the NCAA, just being able to make the call for everything and then really profit off of these players. Um, this gives more power for the players. Like if, right. if you have the ability like Duke quarterbacks, uh, like Duke's quarterback, that's now transferring to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's an amazing deal um, to see how excited he is. Is he has great social media rollout, and this is going to put him in a position to potentially become a multimillionaire. Right. Uh, if he was stuck at Duke, you know that could really hurt his draft eligibility. Where he potentially be at the draft, and what his future in the sport looks like. So now you're putting power in these players' hands, and you know when it comes to NIL, it's like, dude, I re- there's a big social media account. Uh, the guy's name is Destroying, and he's yeah. like. <laughs> he's a place kicker. He's a place kicker and a punter, and uh, he played NCAA football. And he was told by the NCAA, it's either you give up your YouTube channel, or you can't play football. Right. Um, it's like you got to choose one or the other. You choose football or you choose YouTube. And for him, like he's been able to make millions off social media, and right. the fact that the NCAA was able to profit off of him and then countless others. I mean, dude, you talk about March Madness coming up here with college uh, basketball. Uh, the men make almost a billion dollars in profit for the NCAA. These college mm-hmm. football games are going to be making close to a billion dollars uh, for the NCAA. And then what is the players theme? Yeah, yeah, they get money for tuition and food and housing. Kind of, but that doesn't set. <laughs> yeah, like kind of, but that doesn't really set them up for the future. I mean, I right. played, I played D two college football, nothing major at all. But the vast majority of my days were spent in the film room, at practice, and mm. then traveling for games and playing games. Right. I didn't really have time to make money. So when you're seeing people like um, Shadur Sanders, I mean, he made almost five million dollars in NIL deals, and like. Good for him, right. especially for a team that wildly underperformed after having a hot, 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 start, hot start. So like um, Archie Manny's making a bunch of money. Caleb Williams is making a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. You were never guaranteed uh, really even a full two years, three years, or four years playing college football. Right. This could be the highest their stock ever is make your money boys but also at the same time a big thing what the ncaa has to worry about and the compliance offices is 
you know, making sure like they can't go and like sign some sort of like <laughs> just a bad example, but like an OnlyFans deal or something like that. Um, it, because it's like, no, that's not a good representation of the team. That's not a good representation of the school. Like right. you can't go out and just like do whatever. You're mm. still employed by um, this this school essentially. But go and make your money. And I think it's a good thing. Uh, it's not going to be as fun for the traditionalists, but the fact that these players can go and transfer and, and make their money, I think is a good thing for, for these individuals. But at the same time too, just like we know, and uh, we're supposed to be a good steward of what God provides us, making sure that we're building these young men up to be solid, upstanding citizens and not just a bunch of just younger, um, prima donnas, um, who are going to be just the same as what we see some of these prima donnas in the NFL. 100% agree. And uh, uh, heck, I wrote a senior thesis on this in high school when it came to pay for play. You know, I was of the opinion that student athletes should be paid for the hard work that they're putting in on the field. Um, yeah, at the time, I was thinking in more more in realms of a stipend. I, I couldn't have imagined that it was going to explode the way it has currently. But uh, ultimately, I'm in favor of how things have shaken out because like you said the power is with the players now and back when i wrote it it was back in 2012 i believe that's the year i graduated and that at, at that point the ncaa was bringing in 14 billion dollars plus a year and that was just in one year and from then it's only exploded mm-hmm. as far as the overall revenue and whatnot and the players yeah you get a little scholarship for your school and whatnot. Meanwhile, I interviewed a former Nebraska Cornhusker. He went on to play for the Carolina Panthers for nine years as a defensive end, and he told me, "Like, look, I I couldn't even hold down a job, but that was my full like you said, uh, John. That, that was my full time job, and I, I I've got to go make you know I, I've got to make ends meet." And he was starving at times. You know, he those three meals a day that they provide. Not enough when you're burning that many calories and whatnot. So, um, I, for me, uh, this this open market, it's crazy. We've never seen anything like it in college sports. But I think it'll calm down. People will get used to it, and it'll become an exciting part of the sport as it goes forward. Because um, the big thing too is we know here is the NCAA. This will be a good thing for them because most of the time, once the college football bowl games are, are over you're not really thinking about college football that much anymore. But if you're going through this transfer portal stuff, there's big NIL deals. You're now like the marketing for these teams and the NCAA in general, I think it will only help them out. And that's a big thing. I think what the NBA was trying to do years and years ago with trying to get people to tune into the summer league. So it's not just, Oh, you just got the NBA season tuning out watch another sport and get back to us. Right. I mean, free agency is huge in uh, bat- the NBA now. Uh, you're obviously seeing a lot of things with the uh, MLB. This is what they want. They want these sports and these teams and these players to be on the forefront of your mind. They want to be on Sports Center. They want them to be on social media. And they want you thinking about NCAA football year-round. Right. 100%. Last thing, John. Settle this for us. Michigan sign stealing. Where do you fall on that? Should Michigan get the hammer, get punished like crazy, or stick it to the NCAA? 
I will always be in line with sticking it to the NCAA. Yes. I feel like the NCAA, but <laughs> I feel like the NCAA has been so like corrupt and, and nonsensical in so many ways. It's like, it's, there's going to be people and that's the best part about college football. Don't get so riled up. You'll have people that just hate J- uh, Jim Harbaugh just because they hate Jim Harbaugh and they'll just hate Michigan just because they've always hated Michigan. So they're not really going to think rationally, but if they have a chance to stick it to the NCAA, your boy loves to see it. Mm. Hear that Garrett? The guest agrees with me. <sighs> I heard, I heard. Listen, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm no uh, Jim. I'm not a Michigan hater or anything. Uh, I definitely was a little bit more opposed to the, to the, uh, the sign stealing the most that I, I definitely would love to see that punished more, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, people have been talking about Jim Harbaugh potentially making the, the jump back to the NFL. And as a Panthers fan, if I, I've heard the Ooh. rumors that maybe he could be a future, you know, I'll forgive everything. If he, <laughs> uh, comes and coaches for the Panthers, I'll, I'll, I'll look the other way. I, I'm not above that. So, okay. I'm a Falcons fan. I, I would love to see Arthur Smith just get the boot and then let's bring in Jim Harbaugh and a confident mm. QB. And I'd love to start taking over the league, but also too, I'd, I'd love to see, um, I, I would love to see Bryce Young get a little bit of help. It, it's hard. True. It's hard yes. for me to watch, and I know it's, it's got to be a tough thing for you as a fan. Like that's just a. Oh, yeah. It's a tough, tough situation you guys had for a while. Oh yeah, no, we're in we're in the bottom of the barrel now. No, no first round pick next year. Worst team in the league. And yeah, I love Bryce Young. I think he's uh he seems like a really nice guy, and, and a lot of talent. Had a great college career, and to see him be just thrown to the wolves like he has this year is tough to watch, but. We'll see. We'll see. You know, maybe uh, maybe a coaching change will help. Maybe Jim Harbaugh can save him. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I would love to just see Jim Harbaugh back in in the NFL, no doubt. Like he was a, I, I felt like him as a coach, he was an easy guy to root for. It was a bummer that Colin mm. Kaepernick was was his quarterback, but Ooh. in general, like mm. Jim Harbaugh, he just he brings an energy and a and a fire to the position that's that's fun to watch and and easy to root for. Um, I'd say mo- like I'd say a good amount of people probably fall in line with that sentiment. Indeed. Mm. Well, well, John, well, where can people find you? Well, people could find me this weekend at the LA bowl cheering on my boy, Spencer J- Danielson. Now the head coach of the Boise state Broncos. Let's go. Hey. I played, uh, played, I played, uh, played football with Spencer Danielson. Uh, but I know you're asking about social media. You guys can find me on social media uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Johnny Root underscore J O N N Y R O O T underscore. And then I'm also on YouTube. It's at John Root J O N R O O T. Fantastic. People, you heard him. Go find him. Uh, John, thanks so much for your time and joining us here on Game Time. Really appreciate it. And uh, maybe after the season is wrapped up, we can get your reactions to some of these big bowl games. I would I would love that for for now go Boise State Broncos. I'm going to be a fan of Boise State for for one night only. Let's <laughs> <laughs> Boise State. All right. Well, thanks again and uh folks, we'll see ya. Here's Chris again. A Smith screen. Hoji will defend. Oh! Ball's still alive. Thomas shake. Crossover. Step back. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to part two of episode 16 here on Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. We just got done talking with the one, the only John Root. Uh, 
he was a fun guest to have and stay tuned for future content with him but we still got some more stuff to talk about here on game time namely we want to start with the the ever-evolving transfer portal here as there's just so much movement um it, and again it, it's just crazy to see but uh, teams are going to look drastically different this upcoming year garrett yeah no it's been it's been exciting and you know we talked about it a little in the past episodes how you know it's it's the first year that this has been emphasized so i think a ton of players are just you know it's the shiny new thing it's the grass is always greener um I think people are just, they don't want to get left behind. They're like, I got to put my name in and see what I can do. So I think as the, as time goes on and you see more and more players get a, a more realistic view of what's out there and some of the, some of these schools get a better understanding of how to value certain players. I think it'll, I think it'll settle, settle itself down somewhere in the middle, but right. You know, for the first year, I mean, it's, you know, we mentioned last time 3000 or so players that have entered and it's it's been it's been chaotic but it's uh like you know john mentioned earlier it's something to tide us over till uh till bowl season and then even into the off season will be something interesting to talk about as uh, all these new players go in different places that's right it's it's like free it's as prime said it's free agency and then recruiting is the draft essentially in this new mini nfl um some of the some updates on some of the more notable players. Uh, the the one we've been highlighting pretty regularly on here is Cam Ward, former Washington State quarterback, had a fantastic season this last year. Still got two years of eligibility. He's coming into his junior year next year. Reports indicate, or there's some rumor, that Miami appears to be his landing spot. And Garrett, I got to say, I, I'm a little surprised at that. You know, but it, I understand Miami's recruiting has been pretty solid. I mean, actually, really solid the last couple of years. But Miami, to me, there's just hasn't really been a culture of winning there. Yeah, I think that they've definitely had some down years, but they're always going to have, you know, kids that are going there these days. They were probably born uh, around that era where Miami was great, and they still sort of have the, you know, they, they've seen the documentaries on the U. They grew up watching these players in the NFL. Uh, that came from there, like, you know, your Ed Reed, Sean Taylor, right. um, guys like that. And they, they still understand kind of the history of my, of Miami football. And it's, I think the brand still carries some weight. Um, just, you know, the logo, the U it, it, I think it can still draw people in. And like you mentioned, they've had great recruiting classes. They're gonna have a lot of talent next year. And I think there's gonna be a lot of high expectations. So I think that if they do can, if they can land and it seems like they are, uh, probably even if it's not Cam Ward, they're probably going to get someone like a Dante Moore, a Will, a Will Howard. Um, I think if they can land someone like that, uh, a difference maker at the quarterback position, I think they've got the talent around them to, you know, maybe pull a, a Florida State and have some kind of resurgence. But, um, yeah, I think it, things are looking up for for Miami, even though it's been a few few down years. It seems like Cam Ward, like you said, it. I've seen rumors that. Miami is the most likely spot at this point, but I've also seen him linked to to Florida State as well. I think that's where his next visit is. So um, mm -hmm. I would say those are probably the two most likely. Now that we've seen Oregon is probably a no go with uh, Dylan Gabriel headed there. Right. Even though I've also seen reports that some some people still think Dante Moore might go to Oregon and sit behind Dylan Gabriel since Dante Moore still has, I believe, 
is it three years left of eligibility? If yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was just um, a freshman this year. So you could always see that as well. But um, yeah, so yeah, Cam Ward potentially to Miami. Uh, but I've also seen, like I said, guys like Dante Moore and Will Howard linked there as well. So that'll be an interesting spot to see um, how that team looks once that gets settled. Yeah, Ohio State seemed uh, Ohio State fans, I should say, seem to think that Cam would obviously go there. Like, how do you consider anywhere else? Um, but you know, not not a lot of rumblings there. DJ Uyunglele also considering Florida State as well. Uh, it seems like uh, Michigan State has kind of fallen off the wagon for him as his teammate Aiden Childs, uh, his backup quarterback at Oregon State, has followed Coach Smith mm-hmm. to Michigan State and whatnot. And actually, Childs is rated higher than Uyunglele according to Twenty Four Seven Sports. I'm, I don't know if they're seeing. They obviously see something that we didn't get to see because he was the backup. Um, but right. but nonetheless, uh, that that's kind of the shake up there with some of the other quarterbacks we've we've been keeping an eye on. Um, yeah, it, Garrett, is, is there any anything uh, else we, we should? Oh, uh, Marvin Jones Jr. Uh, transferring from Georgia, he's entered the portal. Um, Trevor Etienne, that was kind of another big one that jumped off to me from Flo- the. The, yeah. the dominant Florida running back has entered the transfer portal, and Georgia fans are like, "Hey, hey, we we have some openings at running back." I've seen Ohio State mentioned. <laughs> uh, of course, the big mm. guys got to jump in and throw their name in. Right, right, yeah. No, we saw. I think from what I've seen, Georgia seems like a the most likely spot. That's what I've heard. Mm-hmm. Um, ooh, ooh, ooh. But yeah, and then you, you we mentioned uh georgia they've lost a lot of players in the portal recently and i've seen some people getting a little concerned about what's going on there but um you know i think they're i think they'll be just fine they're getting they'll get they'll lose a lot of guys at and they'll get a lot of guys in um you'll probably see that at some of these bigger schools when recruits want to go there and then they realize that there's just so much talent that it's you could be a really great player just not not find an opportunity because it's so stacked um yeah they've got 15 players so far that have entered the portal it's on the higher side mm-hmm. um so yeah see how see how they turn out i'm sure they're going to get plenty of guys back in uh as far as notable people that are that have moved grayson mccall um had a great career at coastal carolina he's going to nc state mm-hmm. uh you got tyler van dyke going to wisconsin uh, um Riley Leonard obviously going to Notre Dame. We talked about that last week, but uh, yeah, those are some of the names that have been kind of confirmed so far. But there's still plenty out there, like we mentioned. Um, a lot of quarterbacks to move, a lot of uh, pieces. Yeah, I haven't seen much about uh, Florida Ohio State. You would think that that would be higher on people's lists, but it seems like a lot of the top quarterbacks, you know, they're looking more at Miami and Florida State and. Um, not as many looking at Ohio State. So, yeah, I'm right. curious to see who they go after or if they're just happy bringing someone up from who was already there or recruiting. I'm not sure. But, yeah, well, uh, that seem, that would seem like a great spot. But uh, who knows? Yeah, I'm trying to remember who their um, backup quarterback is at Ohio State. I think it was Brown. Um, I, I forget his first name. But um, it, that, there was a quarterback competition going into their camp and whatnot. And then right. Brown got hurt, and that's kind of what thrust McCord into the starting role. And he, when he did fine, that kind of answered all the questions and whatnot. But it was kind of a 
a two-team or a two-quarterback system for a bit early on in Ohio State season as they were trying to figure out who they wanted to go with. Uh, so it, it wasn't as though they seemed super confident in either guy, and that makes me think that you know they were probably telling McCord, "Hey, we're going to go try to get somebody." Just so you know, which is right. why he ultimately made the decision to leave. And Ohio State, I mean, such a big brand, such a, a ton of NIL money. I'm kind of surprised that we haven't seen a ton of movement for them as they've lost a lot of players to the transfer portal and they're not even ranked in the top 25 currently when it comes to transfer um, the the transfer portal currently. Right now we've got Colorado uh, at number one, Notre Dame at number two, Kentucky number three. Maybe this is why Coach Stoops didn't leave. Arizona State at four, TCU. This is for you, John. They're at fifth. Uh, Louisville, six, NC State, there you go, Garrett, seven, Minnesota at eight, Wisconsin, uh, they actually just got a quarterback, um, that was uh, Van Dyke, uh, if I'm not mistaken, from the U, yep. yeah, uh, yeah, and that is how you say his last name, okay, uh, so a solid pickup there for the Badgers, and it seems like they're a program that has just kind of plugged quarterbacks in as they go for the last several years, really, um, mm-hmm. and then uh, Vanderbilt, uh, comes in at 10th. Uh, to me, that's surprising. I mean, Vanderbilt doesn't even have a stadium right now. <laughs> it's just <laughs> right. Uh, half of a stadium, but uh, that that's surprising for me. Granted, it's just a bunch of three stars at the moment and outgoing transfers. They've, they've lost 17 to the transfer portal. So Vanderbilt's got some work to do, but they're probably more of a deve- developmental program anyways. Recruit young guys, develop them into stars, hopefully. <laughs> and... Uh, see where they go from there yeah no it's um yeah it'll be interesting to see uh if some of these schools like vanderbilt can you know where they've struggled recruiting maybe maybe the transfer portals where uh some of these teams can thrive maybe they can find their niche and uh use that to gain some relevancy who knows yeah no it's uh it's an open market ladies and gentlemen um and now did did we want to? Was I missing anything here, Garrett, or do we want to move on to our, our friend Mr. Herb Street's Twitter take? I think we're good to move on. I don't think we I think we touched on touched on most of what we could talk about. Okay, so there's the update on the transfer portal, folks. Um, I guess the only other thing I'll mention before we move on is as far as the top players in the transfer portal, Walter Nolan, the number one ranked transfer from Texas A&M. He's the big defensive lineman, still uncommitted. You know, he's been courted by Michigan, Tennessee, people like that in the la- in the in the past. So, be interesting to see where he goes from there. That's probably the big get. And then Nylon uh, Nylon Green, rather, cornerback from Georgia. He's entered another one of those big big losses, I suppose, for Georgia. Be interesting to see how they fill that void. So, there you go. Um, so Garrett, uh, what's up with, uh, Kirk Herbstreet? He, uh, he's kind of in a controversy right now and people are really going after him on Twitter for his stance that, Hey, Florida state's just not good enough. I, I like the pick of moving Bama up or Texas up. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Florida state, like I said, we talked about it earlier. I feel bad. Um, they had a great season. They did everything right. It's just unfortunate the way it went down. But I think I think people are just blowing this so out of proportion. I think people, when it comes to you know 
the government getting involved, talking about filing a lawsuit. I think it's just ridiculous, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And fans are starting to take it out on ESPN and specifically Kirk Kerbstreet. Uh, he's been, they think that he had been, you know, he's been campaigning for weeks uh, to not let Florida State in. And he wanted someone on like Bama or Georgia or even Texas, like you said, to get in ahead of them. And they think that, I don't know what they think. It's just some conspiracy. Like he's just trying to do it for, he's got ulterior motives other than saying, you know, I just think that that Alabama is a better team. And, you know, I think it's Kirk Herbstreit's someone who not many people have done more for college football and, and and especially in, in on the media side of things, not many people have done more for, for the sport than Kirk Herbstreit. And uh, I think he's being genuine in his opinion. And I think that, you know, he's not, it's not like he's alone in this. I think probably, probably a majority of people, if you actually, you know, obviously the, uh, the people that are crying fraud are the loudest right now, but I think that a lot of people agree with them. And I think it's a fair take. I mean, you know, you and I have both said that we think Bama's better and it's fair to put them in the top four. Mm-hmm. And, I think he's he's kind of been the face of it, uh, so he's taken a lot of the the hate, and um, you know everyone's kind of directing their anger at him uh, as well as ESPN. But um, I, I think it's just completely completely ridiculous, and there's just no there's just no basis in reality for what these people are saying. And you know, uh, he today he I think he just kind of. He he had become too much. He he's he sent out a he replied to someone on Twitter and put in I don't know how many characters this is, but it's it's a it's one of the longer tweets I've seen. Uh just going in on how Bama's better. He he talked about Florida State, how they lost to Miami in uh in two thousand and then mm-hmm. turned around and they got put right in the championship game, even though they lost to Miami and Miami had a really you know, deserving argument to get in. And uh, he's like, you know, you you know, sometimes you you're on the lucky side, and sometimes you're not. It it is what it is. You probably weren't crying about it then, and and that's fair. You know, some someone was going to get left out, and just because you know your team is the one that got left out doesn't mean that it's not fair. Sometimes things don't go your way. It is what it is. Someone was going to get screwed in this, right? Um, so I, I I'm a defender of Kirk Herbstreit. I think that he's coming. I don't think he's coming from a place of ulterior motives he's not looking for what's going to make the most money or uh what is espn telling me to say i think he he's just a fan of college football like the rest of us and he's giving his opinion and i don't think you can uh you can hate him for that yeah and by the way i i don't know when i saw this but i watched the full game of that uh it was just in the background and i just figured hey this looks cool to watch it was uh the miami hurricanes versus florida state uh, back in 2000, that was October 7th. It was number one Florida State versus uh, number seven Miami, and it was at Miami. 99% humidity. It was a noon kickoff, uh, and Miami would win that game 27 to 24 in the infamous fashion of wide left. It just seemed like Florida State could not make field goals against Miami. And then fast forward, of course, Florida State gets in to the championship and they lose 13 to two against Oklahoma. And if you're talking about a snoozer of a game, 
that was it. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Kirk Herbstreet on this. Uh, as I look at his really long tweet, it that seems pretty darn genuine to me. Um, you know, it, like he said, every it's subjective. Everyone's entitled to their opinion on this. And if there's somebody who's been watching football for some time, it's Kirk Herbstreet. Like you said, he and Lee Corso and that game day crew have probably done more for the advancement of college football than anybody else I can think of. And he ultimately, I really like a lot of Kirk Herbstreet's takes. It's it's based in uh, it about the game, who he likes as a player. That doesn't mean he's always right, of course. And uh, but he doesn't make really outrageous takes like say a Stephen A. Smith and then it blows up right. in his face and then you know that to me that's what Stephen A. Smith is great entertainment but he's entertainment at the end of the day whereas exactly. Kirk Herbstreet is an actual analyst and during the game great commentary to listen to um and I, I think I've, I've liked his takes over the years so um yeah I, I'm also a defender of Kirk Herbstreet I get the picks and I, I get where he's coming from but like you said he he probably just needs to let this last tweet be it, and then just let it go from there, uh, and the the and the anger will subside and it'll die down. And uh, again, I understand the anger from Florida State fans. I'm not sitting here saying you guys have no reason to be angry. At the end of the day, this four team playoff was a flawed system, and they got screwed over it. They totally did. They should be in. They, it, if this was six, we wouldn't even be having this discussion. But because the commissioners voted against a six-team playoff, we're here. So, and by the way, the ACC commissioner was one of those who voted against a six-team playoff, and here we are. So, yep. that that's that's kind of my my f- thoughts on that. There, um, a- anything else we want to add, Garrett, on that? Um, yeah, not not particularly. I mean, again, I think that the biggest argument you can have i think people are misdirecting uh their their anger i mean it i don't think that you know people are i think are just grasping at straws for what they can argue for Uh, um they can't accept the fact that you know you have a group of committee members and they all voted and this is what this is what they decided and at the mm-hmm. end of the day, it's a subjective choice. You know, it's not a formula. And there's a reason it's not. We decided, you know, we had BCS standings and you can say that's better, that's not. But at the end of the day, we decided we're going to have 13 people decide on it instead because we think that's better for picking the actual four best rather than just, uh, you know, letting a formula do it. And so it's, it's, it's purely subjectivity. So there's really no argument to be made. I mean, you can have your opinion, but at the end of the day, that is your opinion. And, you know, the committee members have their opinion. And so I think now people real are the they, they realize that they there's no there's no real leg to stand on there because you're just arguing with someone's opinion. Right. And so now they're just trying to grasp at straws for, you know, what kind of fraud they can find. So now they're trying to go after media members who campaigned for Alabama or uh, an SEC team or whatever. And they're right. trying to say that they swayed the the committee members and uh, I think they're just grasping at straws because they're upset and I don't know eventually they'll get over it yeah but at the end of the day there's not really much you can argue for because you can argue against the system all you want but it changes next year anyway so yeah. there's not really much of a point you know it, right. it is what it is it's it's been done 
Yeah, that's right. The, really, the only take that I've liked in opposition of uh, of a committee is Mike Leach. Have you seen that video, Garrett, where Mike Leach just says, "You know what? I, let's let's make a committee and let's let's see how the lower divisions do this." Oh, they have a big playoff. Okay, let let's look ahead and see how the NFL does it. Oh, uh, we we don't want to do that either. And, and then he just dives into uh, the uh, almost a little bit of the ridiculous aspect of a committee and whatnot in making these decisions in a very humorous and lighthearted way. Uh, maybe I'll have to. I'll have to find that video and post it or something on social media. But uh, you get you get the drift. That that's rest in peace, yeah, Mike. Yeah. That's been the one that I liked and understood where he was coming from. And he's been at his point was why are we picking a bunch of people who really don't have much to do with college football, uh, who haven't mm-hmm. played a down of college football, who haven't been around teams in college football? Why the heck are they the ones who get to make this decision? Um, so it, you know, I kind of understand his side of it. Maybe we need to go back and get retired coaches, retired analysts. I don't know. But then again, you can make the argument of, oh, well, the analysts, like uh, who, who, who's to say that they have, deserve? And I mean, look at Kirk Herbstreit. Right. He doesn't know what he's talking about. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. So anyways, uh, just a little sidebar there. Um, we may have to bring that up in a later episode down the road. Let that leech clip play and then we can react. So stay tuned, folks. Um, award winners. Changing topics here. We got some award winners to go through as there were some big awards handed down like, oh, I don't know, the Heisman Memorial Trophy. Um, Garrett, uh, but before we do that, though, I guess we can run through some of the other award winners here. I mean, you and I have already talked about the uh, Nagurski Award winner. That was Xavier Watts at a Notre Dame. Maybe not the most deserving. One. Uh, don't get me wrong. Watts had a great season. Um, fantastic player, and I don't even think you would argue that. Um, but perhaps Peyton Wilson should have gotten that. Uh, Wilson did end up winning the uh, Chuck Bernardic, uh, wait, Bed Bednarik Award. Um, so defensive, uh, it, that was another defensive player of the year award. That's what ESPN says. Um, so. yeah, they've got a couple. Uh, there's different people. There's different awards that kind of mean the same thing but yeah it's a it's a diff- just a different best defensive player award well you know there he goes uh the 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 participation award no i'm kidding uh and, and then he <laughs> and then he won the dick buckus award too so maybe right, maybe the right, right. committee was like well we just don't want him to have to to have a clean sweep but um <laughs> yeah uh, peyton wilson yeah. maybe left out all of that good, one good yeah um who else do we have uh the here's here's kind of one that i struggle with garrett the Bolitnikoff Award. Marvin Harrison Jr. wins that one for Ohio State at wide receiver. And I I gotta say, Garrett, I don't I don't like it. Don't get me wrong. You could make the argument that Harrison is easily, as far as pound for pound, talent wise, the best receiver, the best prospect we've seen in some time. No doubt. Like I, I have no problem listening to that argument. But when you look at the numbers and what a couple other receivers were able to put up, namely uh, Neighbors. What's his first name again? I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Malik Neighbors. Malik Neighbors. Gosh, that's one of those days. And then uh, Rome Odunze out of Washington. To me, and maybe I'm crazy, those two guys should maybe have been considered before Harrison, but because Harrison plays at Ohio State, because he had some really big moments, and because you know his name is Harrison Jr., uh, maybe he gets the win there. 
Yeah, I'm. I agree with you. We talked about it a bit last week. Um, yeah, I, I think that if I had a vote, I probably would have gone Roma Dunze. Him and Malik Neighbors were the two most impressive wide receivers, in my opinion, this season. Mm-hmm. Just based if you if you're looking at the stats and the production and what they meant to their teams, I think that both of them would have been deserving. Uh, Neighbors statistically was the most impressive, led the nation in yards. Um, uh, Adunze, I think, was right behind him. They were both up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Roma Dunze was, I mean, huge for Washington, made so many crucial catches that saved their season. Uh, right. He's a, a major reason and why they're, you know, in the playoff and had, had an undefeated season. Um, big games against Oregon both times, huge mm-hmm. catches in those games. And so I, I probably would have voted Adunze. Uh, I think neighbors would have been great too, but yeah, I think, I think most people who actually watched college football this year and actually paid attention to the production. And I think they kind of realized that Marvin Harrison got this award more so based on his name. I mean, the production just was not there. Uh, he was pretty far down the list in terms of yards and production just, um, and it, it like Adunze, he did have big moments um, when they needed him most. He was kind of their go-to guy. He kept him in that game with Michigan, even though they ended up losing. Right. Um, he was a major reason why they were able to beat Penn State when the offense was struggling. They were able to go to him. He had a huge game in that one. Uh, so he had big moments, and he was definitely a really important part of Ohio State's success, and Ohio State's success this season. But right, you know, uh, I just think neighbors and Adunze were. were also crucial parts of their team seasons and they produced significantly more. So yeah, I think this was definitely a, an award given based on just the name. Right. But, um, and I think, uh, uh, Malik neighbors, he tweeted out afterwards about how, uh, disrespectful it was. And, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think him and uh, him or Adunze were the, should have been the top two in that, but it is what it is. Yeah. Uh, Josh Pate, I uh, was listening to him talk about how these award, all these awards have just so many people voting for him that don't have any business voting on awards. And uh, I, I don't know the exact list, but it's kind of like what you were saying with the college football playoff committee. You've got a lot of people probably in there that don't have any business uh, making these kinds of decisions, but we don't really have a good system in place to to filter that out. Right. So you get you get situations like this, but um and, and it could have been one of these things where he was you know harrison was nominated for the heisman mm-hmm. but no one really thought he had any chance of winning so maybe they were like oh we'll give him the bullet in the cough instead and uh right. just he'll be happy with that but uh, i don't know i think i think it was just one of those things that it was given on name so yeah no there you go and uh he again we both emphasize he had a great season so there you go marvin harrison Wins the Blitnikoff. Uh, Ollie Gordon, Oklahoma State sophomore running back. He had himself a season, and that's why he won the uh, Doak Walker Award, the National Running Back Award of the Year. He, uh, out of 258 rushes, he totaled 1,614 yards. That was the national best. Uh, and then he also had 20 rushing touchdowns. And I don't, I don't, I don't have his receiving stats pulled up but maybe there were some uh additional touchdowns to that as well uh let me see if uh i can i can find it here but uh all what do you think of ollie gordon taking that home garrett 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's deserved. He was probably the best running back in the country. He was a huge reason for why uh, they made it as far as they did in the Big 12. And yeah, I think that was uh, I think that was one that was expected and committee made the right choice on that one. Yeah, just uh, he averaged, by the way, 6.3 yards per carry. So a uh, decent chunk of yardage there. And I'm not finding his receiving stats, but oh well, you get the gist. Very, very deserving. And uh, oh, he he added one through the air. So uh, 21 total touchdowns to his name. Solid year. Um, moving on, the Maxwell Award. Michael Penix Jr. takes that one home for outstanding player. And uh, Matt, Michael Penix was the only other one that I was hearing arguments for about the Heisman Trophy. Um, but he he takes home the Maxwell. Fantastic year for him. Coach of the year. This one makes sense to me. Kalen DeBoer of the Huskies. Um, I, I think mm-hmm. that's well-deserved, uh, especially for a Washington program that over the years has been, I would say, a B-plus kind of program, an A-minus kind of program. And he's just elevated it to where, oh, man, could the Huskies be a year-in, year-out contender? And especially with this 12-team playoff, why not? Um, and and transfer-wise, he's bringing in big names. He's gotten the Huskies involved in some big recruits. And look at what he's done. And, you know, He took a 4-8 and eight program to new heights year after year. So well-deserved for Kalen DeBoer. Um, but, but Garrett, the, the award we care about here uh, went to Jaden Daniels, the Heisman Memorial Trophy the most outstanding player of the year. And you and I both agreed, like, he he deserved this. A lot of people were disagreeing and saying, yeah, but because LSU had three losses, he doesn't deserve this. But uh, nonetheless, Daniels takes home that hardware. Oh, by the way, before we jump into it, he took also took home the Walter Camp Award, and he also took home the Davey O'Brien Award and the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. Uh, I think that's it. <laughs> but not a bad year for Jaden Daniels. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, yeah, we like you said, we we both thought that Jaden Daniels was gonna win, that he was deserving. So I agree. It was very close. Um I was actually surprised how close it was. Um he finished just over two thousand points. Michael Penix had seventeen hundred. He got almost three hundred first place votes. So and, and I do think Michael Penix was a very deserving second. Um, he had an outstanding season. Washington obviously had an outstanding season and he was the biggest driver of that. Right. And, you know, any other year he probably wins it if Jaden Daniels doesn't go out and have one of the most ridiculous seasons we've ever seen statistically. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just, uh, unfortunate for him, but, um, yeah, I think Jane Daniels is the most deserving, um, just, uh, an unbelievable season. He's just I mean, just from the passing alone, you've got, um, you know, almost 4,000 yards, 40 touchdowns, four picks. And then on top of that, he's got a, he was an 1100 yard rusher with 10 touchdowns on the ground. Uh, I mean, that's, that's an all American running back right there. And right. he's also had put up some of the best passing stats. So yeah, just a, just a ridiculous season for Jay and Daniels. And I think it was, yeah, well-deserved Heisman. Um, but I, I do want to point out some of the because they released the full voting mm-hmm. on uh, on the Heisman and they've got, you know, uh, they've got like set eight, nine hundred people that uh, that vote on this thing. 
And I mentioned how Josh Pate was talking about some of these people don't deserve Heisman votes that are voting on this thing. And, you know, if there's close to a thousand people, then, I mean, I'm sure that there's a plenty of people in there who have no idea what they're doing. But right. Um, just looking at this list of who received votes, I mean, you've got guys like J.J. McCarthy getting a first place vote for Heisman. Mm. Uh, Cody Schrader, running back from Missouri, getting a first place vote for Heisman. I mean, there's some crazy votes in here that uh, I don't know if you've looked through the list, but it just uh, just kind of kind of crazy stuff, and it just goes to I think proves uh, proves them right that there there's probably a lot of people voting on this that don't have any business voting on a Heisman award, but uh, nonetheless, I, this year at least I, I think they got it right for who right. actually got to uh, take it home. So uh, you know, all's well that ends well. Yeah, no, uh, I, I personally hadn't seen those rankings, but the Cover 3 podcast uh, pretty regularly talks about uh, whether it be in-season rankings, like the top 10 or something like that, uh, as well as stuff like this. And they are consistently questioning, like, uh, how how the heck do you justify you know ranking so-and-so uh, here ahead, mm. of, ahead of this team or this player or vice versa? Um, so th- that's been a pretty entertaining look, and they'll call out their uh, their cohorts on that. Uh, so uh, Cover 3 podcast has been a, a, a good indicator on things there for me. So I'm not surprised to hear that, all's to say, um, and maybe they should be considering that heading into the next year. Um, well, the uh, last thing I wanted to touch on here, you know, we, we cover the awards there, is uh, the college football coaching carousel. Just some updates there. Um, Mississippi State, they got Jeff Lebby, Oklahoma offensive coordinator. Uh, I think he's in for a tough gig. Uh, Mississippi State definitely has some rebuilding to do. He's had success at uh, offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, UCF, and Oklahoma. But the new look SEC is ridiculous. Texas and Oklahoma coming in, and the schedules are just brutal. You and I were talking about that post-show, Garrett. It's going to be tough yeah. for Mississippi State um, and Vanderbilt. You know, really, those lower programs in the SEC are in for a rude awakening. Um, uh, I kind of like this one, Syracuse, uh, Fran Brown. Uh, he comes from uh, the Georgia side of things, defensive backs coach. Um, so yeah, to me, that was a solid pickup there and, uh, an excellent recruiter. So he, he knows where to find talent and he can help the orange replenish that roster. Hopefully, uh, here's another mm-hmm. underrated one. I think Kurt Signetti, I think I said that right. He was the former James Madison coach and Indiana picked him up. And I like this move because Indiana is investing heavily into their football program, millions upon millions of dollars, because they realize that, uh oh, <laughs> the, the Big Ten is getting really tough. And if we don't up the ante here, uh, you know, th- this this could be bad. I mean, conferences, Garrett. I I have to think they're going to start looking at teams to maybe I don't know muscle out of conferences as things progress. Uh, that's I think. That's a potential for down the road. I don't think they have to worry right now, but um, I, I think it's potential for down the road. So Indiana going out and making this hire for Kurt Signetti, a guy who turned James Madison into a really impressive program, a guy who's 62 years old, so it's not like he's going to be looking at, at this as a, a stepping stone kind of a job. You could have him for right. five to ten years if you do this right, and he could just bring solid 
tough football that is going to turn Indiana into a nightmare uh, or pain in the rear for teams like Ohio State and Michigan. You know, it's like, oh, we got to take Indiana seriously. Um, so right. I, I think that's a good hire. Willie Fritz, Tulane, the former Tulane coach, is now heading to Houston. And I think he went to Houston. It, you, you, some might argue that, well, what's the point? I mean, Tulane and Houston are pretty similar. Uh, the difference for me is Houston's in the Big 12. So um, Fritz goes to, to goes to Houston, and he's another guy. You know, he's up there in age, so he's not going to be looking to jump ship necessarily right away. He doesn't care about that. And he he's shown that he can turn programs around. And Houston, they've been struggling a little bit the last couple of years, so another great hire in my book. And then I just got to shout out Boise State. Spencer Danielson, because our, our brother John was on here. Um, he was the Broncos' interim head coach over the final three games. They went 3-0 and uh, and became the first interim head coach in FBS history to win a conference title when they topped UNLV in the Mountain West Championship game. Um, served in a variety of roles on Boise State staff since 2017. So he knows kind of the expectations of the fan base and whatnot. But that's kind of some movement there on the uh, coaching side. Oh, last, lastly, Bronco Mendenhall. Do you remember that name, Garrett? Bronco Mendenhall, kind of a cool name. Bronco there. Mendenhall, yeah. He was at uh, Virginia for a while. That's right. Well, now he's in New Mexico. He's off to coach the Lobos, and I, that's a great get. I mean, if you can get a name like that to New Mexico, a program that historically doesn't have great facilities, it. I mean, to be frank, who who what top players are going to think? Oh yeah, New Mexico. That's where <laughs> that's where I want to go. <laughs> but this is kind of the the Jerry the the Jerry Kill effect. That's his name, right? New Mexico mm. State's head coach. Yep, um, yep. Turning a program like that around, I think other coaches are going to see that and think, oh. Maybe I, maybe I can go there. Derek Mason from Vanderbilt. He's off to Middle Tennessee State. Another hire that a lot of people are excited about. So there you go, Garrett. Just a, a lot of uh, changes across the coaching side of things. Any, any of those kind of jump out to you? Yeah, I think um, I like the Kurt uh, Signetti hire. I like um, what he did with James Madison. Obviously, really impressive. Their first year coming up, unfortunate with the 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 weird rules about bowl eligibility that they don't get to play in a bowl game this year, but right. um, I mean, they played really tough football defensively, especially only gave up sixty one rush yards a game, number one in the country. I mm. mean, that's pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, James Madison, um, yeah, him going there to Indiana, I think is a great hire, and uh, we talked about him throughout the season a little bit, but Manny Diaz, yeah, um going to being you know Penn State defensive coordinator now he gets the Duke head coaching job uh not the flashiest place but um I think it'll be a good opportunity for him to showcase his head coaching ability again didn't have the best stint at Miami right um didn't last there too long and had to go take a coordinator position but did an incredible job at Penn State um you know you could argue one of the best, maybe, maybe if not the best defense in the country this year. And yeah, he did a great job with that. So I'm excited to see what he can do at Duke. We've talked about Duke kind of having a ceiling on yep. how good they can be and how that would be a stepping stone for a lot of coaches. If, if he succeeds there, I would expect him to get uh, a lot of opportunities elsewhere the same way Mike Elko did. But right. um, I think, yeah, this is just a great opportunity for him to prove that uh, he's got what it takes to be a head coach. So I'm curious to see how he does 
uh, at Duke. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, at Miami previously, he went 21 and 15 in his time at Miami. So obviously, like you said, he knows his defense and he does have a proven track record as a recruiter. So obviously still something to prove at head coach and Duke. That's going to be the interesting thing for me. Does he go more developmental or because Manny Diaz there to me, that's still kind of a big name in college football. Manny Diaz, you know, that, that still has a ring to it. Um, maybe even right. the fans who aren't as in or more of the casual fan will still remember. Oh yeah, wasn't he former U coach? Something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to me, it, it's going to be interesting to see if he goes more of the developmental route because Duke's going to be harder to recruit to, or does he try to make a bigger splash? Can he relate to the top recruits, the top transfer targets, and really sell them on his vision at Duke? Um, ACC. Still a little bit more open as a conference. It's not quite as brutal as, say, you know, the right. SEC or the Big Ten. Um, so, you know, st- I think Duke can still do some things. But like you, like you and I both have talked about, the the ceiling is a little bit lower in my take for Duke, um, which is why mm. we've seen some of their, which was why we see, as John mentioned, Riley Leonard uh, moving on to Notre Dame to better his chances coming up for the draft and stuff like that. And let's see. I think that's all I had, Garrett. Were there any other coaching changes that keep an eye on, or anything else we want to add before we wrap up? I don't think the. I think we've. Uh, I think we've covered it all. We've covered it all, folks. And indeed, I think we have. And that is going to do it for this episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. Uh, as always, folks, if you could find us on social media, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, Game Time with Garrison and Garrett and uh, join the conversation there say hello you can also find us on itunes apple Podcasts, google podcasts spotify amazon anywhere you get your podcasts we're there we would appreciate a subscription to that and a five-star review that helps the algorithm find uh, get more people to start listening to this show 16 episodes up 16 down and uh, as the year progresses we'll be talking some more college basketball and we'll be talking the college football bowl games so, for my co-host, Garrett Thigpen, I'm Garrison Hardy. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on Game Time. Game Time.